from RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings, and your guest presenter this morning is Rainbow Learn. Good morning, Rainbow. Good morning, Danny. On today's Back Chat, we're going to be discussing the third Belt and Road Forum of International Cooperation held in Beijing. Delivering his keynote speech marking the 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative on Wednesday, President Xi Jinping hailed China's global development strategy, describing it as having progressed from sketching the outline to filling the details. But she also warned against unilateral sanctions and decoupling in what was seen as a tacit message to U.S. and Europe. Drawing dozens of representatives from 30 organizations and 130 countries, including Russian President Vladimir Putin, this year's summit reaffirms China's role on the global stage at a time of increasing international frictions. Cooperation with the Middle East also set to increase with a growing number of investors eyeing opportunities in Egypt's Suez Canal. So has, has the Belt and Road Initiative reshaped global trade? What new projects can we look forward to and what other challenges are lie ahead? Uh, we'll be finding out on today's show. Uh, let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call. The number there, 233 our guests in this morning's discussion, we have with us initially Alan Lung. Alan Lung is the uh, co-convener, international and board member for the Path of Democracy. Uh, we also have William Wong. William Wong is a lawmaker and associate dean for external affairs at the Faculty of Engineering at Chinese University. And uh, from uh, City University of Hong Kong, we have uh, Professor Wang Jiangyu. Uh, Professor Wang is uh, from the School of Law and director of the Center for Chinese and Comparative Law. Uh, good morning. Uh, welcome to Back Chat. Uh, William Wong, Let's go to you first. Um, Of course, we had um, uh, Xi Jinping's speech about the Belt and Road Initiative yesterday, and a a lot of indications... Well, what did you make of the speech? I mean, some indications that the focus of the Belt and Road Initiative is starting to change, isn't it? Yes, I I think the the central government is very wise uh, about 10 years back, in fact, or even even much longer. I mean, uh, they they know that uh, you cannot put your eggs into only one basket, so they are starting to building up, uh, you know, second, third, or fourth, fourth basket. And then one belt, one road is uh, one of the main initiatives that they put forward ten years ago. Uh, I think as as, as things progress, I think you can see uh, some achievements is coming up. Uh, I mean, I mean, if you're looking around at the geopolitical situation now, uh, you can see some kind of a bipolarized situation now, and I think that will last for some time. If we if we if we wait that. If we if we wait the market to go back to the norm like uh, it used to be, uh, where the, Amer- the the American European or the Western market dominates, then uh, it will be a long time. Uh, so that's why creating a new market uh, is the right thing to do. And then uh, I think the central the Chinese central government uh, is doing a good job on that. And I'm I'm also very happy to see that uh, out of the eight uh, initiatives that were mentioned by President Xi. Uh, innovation and technology is uh, one of it, one of them. And then, uh, and and then thereafter, you can see that uh, Johnny came up and said that uh, we should take advantage of uh, Hong Kong uh, uh, in, in this area on innovation and technology, and then we should work closely uh, with uh, Shenzhen, uh, the uh, the, uh, the Greater Bay Area, uh, uh, to to actually to do business with the Belt and Road Partners. 
Yeah, I think uh, John Lee mentioned the uh, Lokmar Chow loop, didn't he? Exactly. Uh, that, we, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been talking about uh, sort of playing a role in, uh, in technology for really quite a long time. Has, has anything really changed as a result of this speech? Well, I mean, there many things changed. I mean, I mean, look at the uh, uh, the, the, the the startup, for example. Uh, the 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 startup has been uh, actually increased by at least seventy to eighty percent uh, since uh, two thousand and twenty, uh, as compared to two thousand nine. So, so this is a, a big thing. And then, uh, and then uh, the the investment in the universities, and then uh, there are a lot of uh, patent and IPs that come out from the universities. And then uh, we are working on the government is actually trying to uh, promote or push uh, sort of technology transfer. And in the in the in the last uh, policy address, uh, there was a scheme. This is a scheme called Race Plus, uh, and that is actually to to actually line up uh, sort of a tripartite uh, sort of collaboration uh, between the uh, the government, uh, the universities, uh, and the and the industries. So I think these are all good things happening now. Uh, I think the market uh, is there. We we are actually quite lucky in some sense, and uh, we, we have two markets. I mean, one is the mainland market, and the other one is actually uh, the the outside market. And, and the the way that that we are trying to position ourselves is that we are the kind of the super connector, and we can we can actually help uh, a lot uh, help the mainland companies to to go out and and uh, and then the other way around as is also true we're trying to attract uh, more foreign industries to come into hong kong uh, and using uh, leveraging us to bring them into the china market i think that i think that would be happening uh, uh, in the in the, in the coming years then we'll be working very hard on that one our government Another aspect that came out of the speech yesterday was the move towards a greener Belt and Road initiative. And, however, um, I didn't think that was anything new because after the last Belt and Road Forum in 2019, China then verbalised a growing commitment to a green Belt and Road initiative, and that was in response to the global anxieties at the time over the destruction of nature in the um, destruction of nature in the construction of projects and also the proliferation of um, Chinese-backed coal power plants in, in participating countries. Now, uh, and perhaps if I could ask uh, Professor Wang uh, this question, um, you know, uh, has China, has, has there been a greener um, Belt and Road Initiative since 2019 or has it all really been window dressing and how, and how serious is China about this going forward? Professor Wang? Uh, yes, yes, Yang Yi here. Uh, Yang Yi here. Well, first, thanks for thanks for for having me. Uh, this is this is a good question. Uh, I, I guess uh, the, the, there was a, there was very much uh, it, it was a turning point in terms of Chinese environmental policy when uh, when Xi Jinping became the Chinese president. He has been quite interestingly has been very sincere toward environmental protection. And this not only applies to the Belt and Road Initiative, which is his signature foreign policy and international strategy project, but also applies to all aspects of the of the Chinese uh, economy. So, 
the and 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 actually China bet on these uh, on the sustainable development and on the green development. So that is why China has become very much an, a champion for uh, you know a, for a, 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 the uh, green uh, solar panels, so the green products uh, and uh, consumer goods, and also and, and also the uh, EV, right? So electric uh, vehicles. Uh, I think. Uh, China seems to be rather sincere on making the Belt and Road Initiative greener, not only because this is, you know, this is the so-called the global trend, but also because China can economically benefit from this, and uh, and, and and China now has an upper hand in terms of both the technology, uh, the uh, the, uh, the, pro- the 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 products, and also you have a moral high ground there. So I think this will continue. Uh, and greener Belt and Road probably means smaller projects generally. I mean, these larger projects, they don't, they don't tend to be particularly green, do they, right? So uh, a, a lot more, would it mean a lot more smaller projects, Professor Wang? I think, I think first of all, it would mean uh, the, incorporating, uh, the uh, incorporation of the green standards. Uh, for example, like the uh, ESG, right, and uh, the, uh, the, uh, the those, those uh, so, uh, the carbon uh, reduction, carbon neutrality. So you will introduce, you will incorporate all those standards in all the projects, bigger or small. And uh, the the focus on smaller projects represents a shift of the strategy because there were some. Uh, criticism on the belt and the route, the belt and route, the, the including that of BRI wasted uh, uh, too much money on those mega uh, white elephant, uh, but not very useful uh, products. So uh, the, the, there's overall shift in the strategy to focus on smaller uh, but workable, so the deliverable products. So, so that's the, that will be the overall change. Okay. Well, but but I, I thought uh, it's so obvious to me. I mean, the change in the mainland for the past few years. I mean, in, in the in the thirteenth five year plan, they already set up this uh, thirty sixty goal. And then if you look at the reality, I mean, we many of us have actually been in in, in the mainland before, and and then you can see that uh, about five or ten years ago, you can see that smog everywhere, and then it's actually the PM twenty five is actually uh, the PM two point five was very serious, but then you look at it now, if you go to the the same places that you have been before in the mainland, it's completely changed. The air is very fresh, so, and, and 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 particularly mentioned about the, the the electric car or electric vehicle project, you can see that. Uh, they are trying to replace all the all the all the gasoline cars with EVs. So this this is a bit. You can see that uh, they set the goals and then they are uh, working very hard towards that. I think they are making gradual achievements. So William Wong, you're, in a sense, you're saying that a greener Belt and Road is just a natural progression of what's already been happening in China for the past ten years. Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, our experience in 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 in, in this uh, our conservation in ESG is actually very valuable in actually. Uh, you know, in, in these uh, Belt and Road projects. Uh, like, for example, you mentioned about big constructions. Surely the big construction will use up a lot of energy. See, for example, a very simple example, if everything were done using electric cars or EVs, then you save a lot of energy already. Not to mention that all this, whatever, pe- petroleum, filter, uh, you know, uh, uh, filter, filtering uh, sort of technology, they can be, uh, uh, actually they are also using uh, sort of advanced technology 
uh, and one of the goals is on saving energy. So they are very serious about the uh, the carbon tracing part of the thing. So uh, I, I, I think the, the, the main thing is actually uh, what, what I think they can do even in the future. I think uh, while the other countries are actually focusing on other matters, and then uh, since that we are big, making big construction projects somewhere in the Burden Road, at some point maybe uh, uh, our, our, uh, the Chinese government or the China, Chinese government can actually stand out to actually to define the standards, and that would help a lot. For promoting uh, Belt and Road, and and um, I just want to ask, uh, perhaps uh, Alan Lone, this question. Alan Lone is the co-convener, international board member, Path of Democracy. Uh, China has, and and I, I think uh, Professor Wang alluded to this earlier on. China has been accused of being a reckless lender in the past by its seemingly. Uh, historical seemingly la lacks project evaluation and due diligence on economic and financial sustainability of uh, projects. And we know that a number of countries have defaulted, um, Zambia and Sri Lanka, um, uh, for example, Zambia and Sri Lanka, although I, I understand those debts have now been restructured. Um, however, many others are in acute debt distress. So, so given the new... new um, this, you know, the swing, the new initiatives, the, the, the switch in focus. What's your view on this? On, on, on the uh, death trap thing? Or uh, what's going to happen? Yes, because um, they, they've set up they set out an eight-point plan um, yesterday. And, um, but in the past, um, it, it, there's, there's allegations that um, China has been reckless in not doing sufficient due diligence. There has, for, for example, in right. Sri Lanka... There right. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. the uh, Sri Lanka case, I think, is... Uh, a lot of it is uh, Western propaganda. I think the, uh, it's been proven that most of the debt is from uh, the Western country, IMF and so on. And China actually helped to restructure the uh, IMF debt I mean, in standard situation, not just Sri Lanka, in places like Bangladesh, Myanmar, and so on, the usual thing is IMF moved in and gave loans and without taking care of the infrastructure building, you just hand out money. And that's not going to work. And this is why... IMF dominated by the U.S. Asian Development Bank, dominated by Japan. This system is not working. This is why the AIB and the uh, and the uh, other bank, this uh, BRICS bank, is coming in to. Uh, I, mean, I think it's basically welcomed by uh, by the developing country, the global south. I think in in terms of uh, the scale of the projects. I think the, uh, China has learned a hard lesson in in not putting more but not putting more debt burden on the uh, receiving country by by putting in large projects. I think they are moving is logically they move on to uh, more due diligence, more project feasibility study, and uh, smaller projects, which. This sort of thing, Hong Kong is extremely good at the consultancy part of it. So th in this way, Hong Kong will uh, take a bigger role. I think also in terms of the specifics of the greener uh, Belt and Road projects, 
they've been. I think. I think. I'm just speculating. They, I think they they will move on to uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, try to export their platform economy, the the ten cents and the Alipay and so on. The Alipay uh, is actually an extremely effective way to uh, hand out. Uh, help the, uh, the 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 development bank to handle micro micro finance, which is very useful for small farmers, uh, shopkeepers in in uh, in local local economy. And I think, I think the Indian Indian uh, Indian lender has proven that they seldom default. But we need a very efficient way to to hand out those loans and. China already has that platform, Alipay pay and, uh, and so on. Uh, so, uh, Alan Lung raises an interesting point, point there, particular relevance to us in Hong Kong. Uh, we're to- talking, this, the general trend seems to be to a Belt and Road initiative that focuses more on uh, smaller projects and suggesting that that could, perhaps could uh, mm. uh, ben- be, a, be a benefit to Hong Kong. Let's hear what our other guests have to say about but, that. But, but the, uh, well, yeah, we on, mentioned about the due diligence part. Yeah, please, uh, yeah. The due diligence part is more on the, the legal side of the thing. And, and once I think we have actually, but the 10 years back, then we are still trying to work our way through. I mean, the, like in, like in uh, uh, China, and then uh, as said, we probably have, uh, the, the Chinese government have learned a hard lesson. But mm. as, 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 as we go along, as we go along, I think we learned the lessons. I think, as I said again, uh, if we can set the standards, when we have that standard, then the diligence can be done. And if we were to do the due diligence, that's where Hong Kong can, can come in, because uh, the legal services in here is well proven. And then if we were the one can actually help in doing the due diligence, that would actually lower down the risks of future projects. Uh, yeah, prof- prof- sorry, pro- Professor Wang, we, we talk a lot about uh, <coughs> Hong Kong's role as a legal, cent- a legal hub. Um, mm-hmm. just, just how much of a role can it, can it play here then? Uh, well, that's, that's, that's really a, a, a good question. I think we in Hong Kong, the, the government and, and also the, uh, the business community and then sometimes the scholars have expressed many times and also, and, and, and also made a very broad, very broad uh, announcement that we can play the role of the, the something called the super connector. But Hong Kong has been underplaying its role. So in addition to making those lofty uh, and uh, ambitions, expressing the lofty ambitions, I think the uh, the Hong Kong business community should guide, should study and uh, get involved in uh, each and uh, every or many of those specific projects. I agree with the previous panelists that Hong Kong can actually can do quite a lot, for example, on consultation and uh, uh, due diligence and 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 also uh, the provide uh, the legal services on the uh, on the uh, uh, ongoing basis. The Hong Kong is a hub for international dispute settlement. Uh, the Hong Kong was the number one in Asia for many years, but until recently it was uh, so recently has the Singapore is, is is playing a catch up, and Singapore has surpassed Hong Kong in some respects, uh, including arbitration. I think Hong Kong. The, that that is that is very much because that Singapore has and something I called the uh, uh, the uh, industrial legal policy. So the Singapore government has been very active and proactive in promoting Singapore's legal services, dispute settlement services. I think 
uh, I, I think Hong Kong, the, the, the legal community together with the relevant uh, government agencies in Hong Kong should, should wake up and just respond to that. It should be more proactive, should follow, chase those projects and try to get business, legal business in those specific projects rather than making uh, those empty you know, wishes announcements. So that, that's, what I, that, that's what I think we uh, should do here. Uh, very interesting comment from I guess Professor Wang say that uh, Hong Kong has not been nearly pro- proactive enough and uh, we should wake up. Uh, William, Wong, do you, William Wong, do you agree? Oh, uh, uh, I, I would say we are actually uh, very active in trying to, uh, to change that. I, I agree in some sense because that uh, we, we, we are still living in the so in quote the status quo, i.e. Uh, the, the Western economy. Uh, and then, uh, but it is not true. I mean, I, as I said again, in the coming future, bipolarization will come in, and then uh, the Middle East uh, uh, economic circle will be here, and then the, the set of rules, their culture will be very different. But if you think about what Hong Kong is uh, for the past uh, for 40 or 50 years, we've been doing a lot of trading with this Western world, the Americans, the Europeans, but things are different. Uh, so that, that's why we have to uh, start to get out of our so to speak, the comfort zone and start to learn more about uh, uh, the other side of the world, this part of the world. Uh, but, but again, um, the rules may be different, the regulations may be different, but I think the, 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 the culture, the working attitude, how to, how, to, how to own a legal system is something that we have built in, in Hong Kong. So I think this is something that we have to get out you know, to learn more, but I think we can learn fast and then we can still serve the role as the uh, super connector, uh, especially in the, the, the legal part of it. Uh, and William Wong, how do you suggest we can achieve much of that? Well, uh, go, go out, out, outreach more like what John is doing. I mean, John is actually taking uh, our teams to go out. I mean, they don't, he, John, did, uh, is doing this thing uh, not uh, sort of uh, with no reason. When you think about it, Every time that every trip he makes was actually follow the footsteps of President Xi. President Xi went out for diplomatic for diplomatic trip, and thereafter, uh, our John will lead another team. We're trying to we're trying to uh, kind of materialize. Uh, we're trying to follow the trace and then trying to materialize some of the business. So I think he he's strategically doing this thing. So again, uh, in response to your question, we just have to reach out. We have to be more open-minded and start to start to work on uh, the Belt and Road, uh, you know, legal system, the Belt and Road culture as such. Well, yeah. Alan Lung, where do you stand on this issue of whether Hong Kong needs to be more proactive and whether it's not been doing enough? Well, well to really defend the Hong Kong SAR government, the uh, uh, Department of Justice uh, has actually been actively trying to set up uh, an international arbitration court which is separate from the uh, uh, arbitration center <coughs> thing. And I, they've actually made a lot of progress. And I, I think the uh, foreign, foreign affairs uh, minister, minister of foreign affairs of China is helping them to uh, negotiate as a sovereign state. And I think they are ready to, to, uh, to announce the specifics already. We don't know in what specific form, whether it's going to be part of the uh, Hong Kong judicial system, or whether whether it's going to whether it's going to be an international court like Hague, 
That that is the part we don't know, but we know that they are actively setting setting that up. But it's not just legal service. The package Hong Kong can offer in terms of infrastructure building is uh, uh, feasibility study, financial feasibility, source of financing, and project management. Um, just just look at the uh, the MTR. MTR has uh, aligned in. Uh, one of the lines in, in uh, most of the major cities in, in China is actually operated by MTR Corporation of Hong Kong. And they set the standard, and then the, uh, the other lines has to follow. And even in countries like uh, uh, Bangladesh, I understand they're building a, a uh, MTR line in, in Dakar. And, uh, and Cairo, I know Cairo has the three MTR lines already, but they can also uh, work with the MTR corporation in in uh, in, uh, in borrowing the expertise and so on. So this is a complete package, okay. not just legal yes. services that Hong Kong can, can offer. Okay, thank you very much. And we, we are going to uh, break for the news there, and uh, we're going to say goodbye to uh, William Wong, uh, lawmaker and associate dean from the Faculty of Engineering at Chinese thank, University of Hong Kong. Me. Thank you for joining thank us. You. Uh, but our, our other guests will stay with us. We're also going to be joined by an Egyptian diplomat to talk about the uh, role of Belt and Road in the Middle East. Uh, so do stay with us. Um, and if you have any thoughts, you can Email, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or leave a message on our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free. Uh, the weather forecast is not nice out there, is it, this morning? It's going to be cloudy with showers. Um, temperature is going to rise to 27 degrees, but there are going to be more rain patches over the uh, next couple of days. Currently, it's 25 degrees, relative humidity 93%. <laughs> It's 9.30. Here's Haley with the news. Trade unionist lawmaker Lam Chun Singh says authorities should investigate the safety culture at companies related to aggressive um, construction following a series of fatal accidents at the contractor. It will now be removed from several projects it is working on, affecting an estimated 900 workers. Mr. Lam said he hoped other contractors would be able to take on aggressive construction's workers with no loss of benefits. Israel says it won't prevent the delivery of aid to Gaza via Egypt after a demand by President Biden during his visit to Tel Aviv. The Israeli Prime Minister's office said humanitarian support would be allowed as long as supplies didn't reach Hamas. Mr. Biden said the aid would arrive even as Israel's offensive continued. And the hardline Republican Congressman Jim Jordan has failed for a second time to win enough support from his party to become Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives. Twenty-two Republicans voted against him, two more than during his first attempt. I'll have more news for you at 10 o'clock. Hey, you can ask if you don't understand, but if you lose your hearing, there's no cure. Working near loud noises without hearing protection can easily cause occupational deafness. Employers and employees must work together on prevention. Employees engaged in specified noisy occupations suffering from occupational deafness can apply for compensation. For details, visit the Occupational Deafness Compensation Board website or call 2723-1288 for inquiries. There are always adversities in life. If you're emotionally distressed because of family conflict, debt, marital or interpersonal problems, and you don't know how to deal with the situation, please call Caritas Family Crisis Support Center's 24-hour crisis hotline 18288 to talk about it. A bend in the road is not the end of the road. If you're willing to seek help, you will find a way.
Welcome back to Mac Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your co-presenter this morning is Rainbow Lung. In the second half of the show, we're going to be continuing our discussion about uh, the uh, Belt and Road Initiative, and in particular on the third Belt and Road uh, Forum of International Cooperation, which was held in Beijing and had uh, that keynote speech from Xi Jinping yesterday, and a number of su- interesting suggestions about how the Belt and Road Initiative is evolving over time. We've already been discussing in the first half of the show, including in direction of um, more, more green projects and what Hong Kong can do to help. Uh, our guest, as we continue the discussion, we still have with us Alan Leung, who's Kokomin International and board member of the Path of Democracy. And uh, we have uh, Professor Wang Jingyu. Wang, professor Wang is a professor at the City University School of Law and director of the Center for Chinese and Comparative Law. If you have any thoughts uh, on these topics, so do, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, and leave a comment there. Let me just bring in uh, one email from a listener for the moment. Um, uh, Henry says the Belt and Road Initiative has reshaped the global trade tremendously. Examples, the China-Europe Railway Express, the Gwadar Port and the Sri Lankan New Port will be a game changer in this decade as they were completed or still in progress in the last 10 years. Africa has seen modern ports in uh, Kenya, Niger- as far as I remember, Nigeria, and power deficiencies in some countries have changed to power exporting countries. In future, I see the Arctic shipway will also be a game changer. The use of solar energy and nuclear energy, etc., in future Belt and Road initiatives will contribute to reducing carbon emis- emissions. Belt and Road Initiative would make developing and under- undeveloped countries gain more center stage and drivers in future as they benefit from the Belt and Road Initiative. Thank you very much, Without doubt, there's been some impressive building works out there, impressive infrastructure. Um, however, I just want to take a step back. Um, we, we, more than 130 countries attended the forum, most notably from Latin America and Africa. But unlike in previous years, many more sent ministers rather than heads of state. And there were notably fewer um, number of foreign leaders at this year's forum compared to the previous two summits in 2017 where 30 heads of states attended and 2019 where 37 attended. This year I think there was only about 20. Um, and perhaps if I could ask Professor Wang um, this question, do, what do you think this shows <clears throat> and do you think, as some say, this shows a waning in interest in the initiative overall? Uh, that's, that's a very, very interesting question. I think it very much demonstrates how polarized our world has already become. And the, uh, the U.S.-China geopolitical and geoeconomic rivalry has never been so, has never been so intensified. Uh, the, uh, so in the past uh, two summits, the first one and second one, and you saw high-level delegations, at least from, uh, from uh, 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 the significant number of Western countries, including European countries. But it's no longer the case because those countries have realized that the United States, the United States has become, the United States has made China and a uh, strategic, not only strategic competitor, but uh, the, the number one uh, uh, challenger of its status. I think the U.S. Western allies probably would not be, would not want to show much interest in uh, this project. On the other hand, I think China has realized this. China has also lost the interest in them. And uh, China initially uh, intended to make it an all-inclusive a project to embrace everyone. And then now, I think with the Belt and the Road, China is in the process of establishing, establishing, uh, uh, establishing another, an alternative 
uh, an alternative uh, universe, an, alter, an alternative power center uh, that will be uh, so. So that will compete with the U.S.-led uh, camp. So this is the situation that is being developed, and uh, and it's it basically it makes the world more and more polarized. Uh, so that is uh, why. So what what we have now? You have uh, the uh, you have countries which are so so China China basically wants to attract countries which do not want to either they will follow China or they have no intention to take sides. Right. So I think I think I think for China this is not even a surprise. China didn't even sincerely invite uh, U.S. European countries, so the the, the Western countries this time. Uh, Alan Lung, I'm sure you have some thoughts on the uh, geopolitical rivalries, how they're affecting Belt and Road Initiative. I mean, we, 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 there have been a lot of suggestions, haven't they, that Italy's going to pull out of the Belt and Road? I think they well, are at the end of the year. Yes, Alan Lung? Well, uh, I wouldn't put it um, as a less significant uh, uh, forum, but uh, there are still 130 countries participating and 26 head of states uh, attending, 26 including UN and uh, this new development bank head. So 24 national leaders attended, uh, including the UN uh, Secretary General Antonio Guterres. So um, it's, it's from China's point of view is really the biggest diplomatic victory uh, in recent, in the last few years. So it, uh, this should not be overlooked. That that uh, they they have they have done a good job in soft selling and uh, uh, the, the global south. And I think the isolation, uh, the the West ignoring it, ignoring the Belt and Road, actually shaped uh, the strategic direction of uh, of, uh, of the Belt and Road project because infrastructure. Projects. I think that uh, the West really do not need help, and I think uh, the West actually has has the responsibility as a global citizen to help the global South to build the in- infrastructure. But that's not forthcoming, and and the global South saw that China is really not interesting, not interested in shaping their internal politics, but really interesting in helping them using Chinese experience in lifting uh, China out of poverty to lift the global south, which is a huge population uh, of the world, huge part of the world out of poverty. And by, by lending very practical projects and financing and so on, but China will not have the uh, financial resources to build the infrastructure for the global south. So whether the West come in and see it as opportunity or as 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 uh, as uh, a responsible global citizen is yet to be seen. But you know this is this is not what uh, you know this this conference really shaped the objective, the strategic objective, or or the or the uh, real purpose of the Belt and Road. So look at it from that perspective. But as a matter of fact, the uptake in lending has dropped since the highs of 2019. What are your thoughts on that? What does that show? Lending has dropped. Uh, we all know China's uh, economy is not 
the, the property thing and the uh, COVID thing is is uh, is uh, is uh, not doing well as as well as it, it was before COVID. But it also goes back to if the real big infrastructure project, building large rail system, handing out. Uh, Policy, not policy loans, policy grants to Pakistan, the uh, uh, Pakistan uh, uh, corridor, economic corridor, and so on, could help really help the uh, the uh, the global south by burdening burdening them with a big huge step, or rather than doing it step by step. So it's the rationalisation of the thing, and those had high high headline figures really doesn't tell anything. If you look at what Xi Jinping said, he put it modestly as from outlines to details. And incidentally, Hong Kong is extremely good at uh, implementation details. And this is why uh, I think most countries, most global South countries, particularly the the, uh, English-speaking countries, uh, Bangladesh, Myanmar, even Egypt, would prefer to work with China to Hong Kong because of the language issue. Uh, Alan Lung, earlier on, I think you were suggesting that to some extent Belt and Road Initiative can replace or or, or become an alternative to uh, other institutions like the IMF, weren't you? That um, you, you had criticisms of the way the IMF operated and that perhaps um, um, the, these, the, these are developing into alternative forums. I... If, if you, I, 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 I don't do big researches. I talk to uh, PhD students from uh, from uh, Global South. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm a council member of Ningnan University. It just happened they have a lot of PhD students uh, from from uh, from Africa and so on, and they they basically welcomes uh, China's <clears throat> help, and not they the whatever headline you see see in the Western press, they don't see it that way. Uh, P- Professor Wang, how about this idea yeah. that the Belt and Road Initiative, to some extent, reshaping the international order? Uh, I, I, I think it, now it seems it is, it is doing that. I think uh, initially China just wanted to build and some, something called the parallel institutions uh, to create and very much an economic back, backyard for itself. Uh, China in, initially was rather enthusiastic in, uh, in participating in the U.S.-led, the uh, so-called Bretton Woods uh, institutions, such as the International Monetary Fund, the NF, and also the, the World Bank. Uh, but the Ch- Chinese voting power is very small there, smaller than Japan, smaller than quite a number of uh, European, European powers, let alone the United States. But China is already, that is, uh, that, that is when China was already the second largest economy. So the, the U.S., especially the U.S. Congress, refused to give China the voting power it deserved. So that's why China created the, uh, created the, the AIB. And if you consider the AIB as part of the Belt and the Road Initiative, then 
uh, it's already it's already played the role of another IMF, and actually, uh, because of China's huge uh, foreign exchange reserve, and it can work more effectively uh, than the IMF in many regards, because the IMF is very bureaucratic, and uh, and China can act very act very fast, so. Uh, because of the rather intensified U.S.-China uh, geopolitical rivalry, I think China now seems China has determined to make the uh, BRI and institutionalized being right. So in this, in, in the in the recent speech of Chinese President Xi Jinping, the uh, one of the announcements was to establish an, uh, a secretary. So that is very very. That is very, very indicative, right, of the Chinese intention to make the BRI a more formalized, more institutionalized uh, project. So it has the great potential uh, to uh, to be an alternative system, an alternative system, not necessarily in the sense of ex- uh, replacing the existing ones, but it might be, it might be able to, uh, it might be able to coexist with the existing ones, but in which China is the center of gravity and uh, uh, it provides an alternative uh, possibility for other countries. So in that that sense, it is good because it can provide more public goods for for, uh, countries like the Global South. And, and Professor Wang, before we lose you, can I sneak in one more question, if I may? Um, obviously, the world has changed um, since the last four, um, since the last ten years, and the next ten years is going to be a whole different landscape. I just want to ask, um, you know, what what do you think are the potential challenges and risks that China may face, um, um, and this initiative may face going forward? Uh, I think one one major challenge is because. Chinese economy uh, traditionally, so if you look at the Chinese development trajectory, it has been mainly relying upon uh, the Western markets. And so China is actually, if, if we call our own system the liberal international economic order, and China has been a beneficiary. China is actually the, one of the largest beneficiaries. So, so China basically grew up in such an environment. So the World Bank did a study some years ago, and in the past 100 years, only about a dozen, a dozen of countries realized industrialization, right? And uh, more than half of them are in East Asia, and, uh, and China is one of them. So if you are a developing country 100 years ago, then most likely you are still a poor developing country today. But China very much took advantage of the free trade uh, the free trade, non-discrimination, and the the uh, the free flow of uh, factors of economic production, and the China benefited from all these. Now, because the U.S. probably does not want China to continue to benefit from this, and that's why China is building those parallel institutions and projects. And so, the biggest challenge is the how do we uh, make up for the market that is disappearance uh, that is departing right that is leaving us so the decoupling decoupling may not be that complete but it is happening and it, it is happening especially the u.s market the chinese exported to, to the u.s has so the, uh, the 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 share for chinese goods chinese products in the u.s market has been declining in the in, in the recent years and uh, the so so china needs to but china needs, still needs to 
maintain its connection with the Western market. So China has to work very hard to, uh, the, apart from the U.S., probably to make sure that Europe takes an, a, a, neutral, a neutral stand here. And, 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 and second, I think the second challenge is uh, the, uh, the uh, so whether uh, China domestic economy uh, does whether Chinese domestic economy has the capacity to power the BRI? Right? So the BRI means the BRI has to be fueled by new investment and uh, by the uh, the uh, so the creation of new markets and uh, and and also you also need to make new rules right? to make new rules. So the uh, uh, whether China has the capacity. To do it is a question, or alternatively, we, uh, the, the, if I may rephrase the question, uh, rephrase the, the, the statement that is whether so China should uh, should further open up uh, its domestic economy and continue to reform its economic system to make sure that China is an very powerful open economy. I think the Chinese economy still has great potential. And, uh, but in the past few years, uh, the, uh, it, the economic, the, the Chinese economic development has been stalled, uh, the mainly because some uh, mistake in domestic eco economic policies, not because uh, the, China, the, the, the Chinese uh, economy has reached its potential. Okay, we're discussing the uh, Belt and Road Initiative on the back of the uh, third Belt and Road uh, Forum on International Cooperation, which was held in, held in Beijing with that keynote speech from uh, President Xi Jinping yesterday. Uh, if you have any thoughts, you can email us at backchat at rthkhk or go to our Facebook page, backchat on rthk radio free, and leave a comment there. In fact, there's a lively debate going on on our Facebook page with uh, contrasting views about the Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, too, too many comments to read them out on air. Um, I'll just briefly summarize a few points, um, and we can pick up on one first the point. Um, actually, a lot of the points that we've actually been talking about um, uh, so far uh, on the show about on the one side, Martin talking about whether the Belt and Road is a, is, is a debt trap and also potential, potential effects perhaps of what's happening in the Middle East and uh, uh, Henry vigorously responding on the issue of the debt trap and you can see the full messages on our Facebook page. Um, but what, perhaps we can pick up on one further point, Alan Lung, that Henry raises uh, on Hong Kong and we, we talked a bit about this earlier. Uh, Henry quite critical about ho Hong Kong's role so far. Henry says Hong Kong's previous uh, uh, chief executives, in my opinion, were too slow with the Belt and Road Initiative and other Chinese projects. In the Chinese press, I read numerous criticisms and insider news on this. C.Y. Lung wanted to rectify the situation, but the pan-democrats succeeded in thwarting him, and then Kerry Lam was uh, distracted by other matters. It's John Lee who tried to push ahead now. Um, Alan Lung, would you like to respond to that, uh, that, that comment from our listener, Henry? Henry Young? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, John Lee is a uh, go-getter guy. Uh, uh, what what is in the past is in the past, and uh, he'll get he could get things get things done. But I think the biggest challenge Hong Kong could be facing is uh, in terms of uh, helping in Belt and Road is uh, translating the high level ob objective uh, mm. from. Uh, from the central government, from the party's point of view, from Xi Jinping's point of view, into practical things that can be done in Hong Kong. And I think Hong Kong civil service has been very good at, well, they're not just very good, they're extremely good at executing things. 
But setting direction, they they have never been very good at that in uh, in uh, since uh, 150 years ago, and I think that even in the in the in the in the in the in the in, the, in, the, in between the high level objectives and the practical measures, which uh, the global south or other countries will be looking at, need a translator, and that translator is a think tank. Hong Kong is extremely weak in uh, thinking. Uh, there's very, very little capacity in thinking. And then what, what could happen is the risk that could be happening now is when, when, uh, when Beijing says something, uh, Hong Kong and, you know, just do it without thinking through it, without translating what is the real objective uh, China is talking about and, and what role it can, can play. Okay. So Hong Kong needs to step up its think tank capacity quite a bit. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, now in the uh, closing segment of this uh, discussion, let, let's move to a slightly different or particular aspect of the uh, Belt and Road Initiative. It, it is impact in the Middle East. Uh, we're now joined by Ambassador Amir El-Hanawi. Uh, Ambassador El-Hanawi uh, was a G- Egypt's uh, Consul General to Hong Kong until the end of 2022 and is the founder of the MENA Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong. Um, 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 Ambassador, good morning. Thank you for joining us on Backchat. Good morning to you. How are you? So just how important is the Belt and Road Initiative to Egypt? Um, it's very important. I mean, to the whole region, it's extremely important, our relations with uh, with China um, are very historic and go back a long way. And I think that the Belt and Road has benefited, um, I mean, if I speak from the perspective that um, we're an African country, uh, to Africa has been uh, very significant for a lot of um, infrastructure um, uh, projects. Very significant for a lot of infrastructure projects. Um, but what, we've, we've been here. What are the major achievements? Uh, can you talk, tell us about? Um, I don't have the statistics in front of me, actually. So, but the may I, I think a lot of people have overlooked the um, Belt and Road. Um, initiative from from china it's been going on for almost 20 years now and um, it has done a lot of infrastructure in terms of ports transportation and mostly trade related and it has not come with um what i could call um a political uh, price or tag uh, like a lot of the other um aid or, or assistance that you get from uh, other parts of the world. So you see, you see that from perspective of your country and others in the Middle East, that is, uh, that's a, an advantage of the Belt and Road Initiative, isn't it? Ambassador? Yeah, I, I, think, I think mostly, mostly uh, it has helped a lot more uh, sub-Saharan African countries. Uh, and, and, I mean, when I was posted to Uganda, um, I, I worked in Uganda many years ago, and um, there was significant assistance from from China in in a lot of areas of um, of infrastructure. Absolutely, I mean, even even the um, national stadium for football was built uh, within within the same same um, form of um, assistance from China. We know from the um, the forum that that concluded yesterday that one of um, um, that the focus going forward is going to be what one of the one of the aims is on greener sustainability. 
However, the Middle East is one of the biggest carbon emitters on a per capita basis um, from its reliance on coal, oil and gas. So how well placed is the region to how well placed is the region to transition to more greener and cleaner um, sources of energy? Uh, the transition to to cleaner um, energy is is very costly for mm. um, for developing countries and um, emerging economies. So this has been a problem between um, in, in in the negotiations between the South and the North. Um, so and most most of the time the South is always asking the North to um, to assist in 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 the price and cost of such uh, development and also. Um, to assume um, responsibility for for the emissions itself, as it's mostly uh, related to development of the north. Um, China was considered and still considered to some extent part of the south, um, but um, it's also one of the countries that, in the negotiation, in such negotiations, is always being asked to to um, to try to compensate for for that cost. So it depends. I mean, the the the, the the Middle East is a political term. It covers a variety of countries with different um, economies and different um, stages of, of, of where they stand. So if we go at the broader broad term of the Middle East, which goes all the way from uh, from North Africa all the way to certain parts of Asia, um, it, it is a, a very. It's, it's not. It's not easy to pin like that. And uh, some some economies are quite uh, with a lot of accumulated wealth, like Saudi Arabia currently, and, and most of the Gulf. Um, it it is not. It is not really. Um, it's not very clear how we can do that. And uh, but most countries are adopting. I mean, this last year we had the COP27 in Egypt, and Egypt made a lot of pledges. And to to try to go greener, and we we try um, a lot of things with hydrogen. Um, um, but uh, now this year it's it's in uh, Dubai. They have uh, they have the, uh, the COP twenty eighth. So that's the call for the parties for 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 uh, for environment. So um, it's really not not uh, not not an issue that we're not trying to tackle as much as it's really uh, costly. Of course, and we have to ask in the current situation whether uh, how much uh, the sort of current um, the conflict in the Middle East uh, um, may may affect sort of development opportunities, and we don't know the full implications of what's happening in Gaza and whether it might spread uh, beyond its borders. Ambassador, um, yeah, that's a reoccurring uh, unfortunate problem that uh, will uh, uh, unfortunately. Uh, not stop to to reoccur unless the root cause of the of the crisis is solved, which is um, basic rights and um, and liberties for the um, Palestinian people. So this reoccurs every two or three years. We have um, such uh, this one is probably one at a, a much bigger scale that we've seen in the past. Um, Spreading, to, spreading to more countries. I hope it doesn't. I don't think it will. Uh, the way that um, things have evolved in, in in this current situation, which um, okay. I'm sorry. And, uh, I'm going to have to cut you off there. We, thank you very much for joining, um, Ambassador. But we are we are now coming up to the news. So we thank very much, uh, uh, Ambassador Amar El Hawani, who's for Egypt's former Consul General, and also uh, Professor Wang and Alan Lung, who are joining us to discuss the Belt and Road. Um, initiative this morning and of course uh, to my uh, co-presenter uh, Rainbow Lone. 
Thank you. Uh, Back Chat will be back tomorrow with uh, Andrew Work and Philip Wong. See you then. <laughs>